0: Today is the actual halfway point of March, and we have not had snow. Rich Exner pointed out at the beginning of the month that we've never had a March without snow. Could this be the year? It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnson, and Jane Cahoon. And Laura Johnston's back from the snow where she got in, <laughs> in a very late flight because of the snow that's obliterating most of the country. I hope you didn't bring it back with you, Laura.
1: <laughs> i don't think so i think it stayed uh stayed away from us but yeah i got it got home around 4 a.m so if my voice sounds a little scratchy to podcast listeners that is the reason why and
0: right, we're hoping Jane- that
1: my skis come back today too <laughs> and Jane Cahoon,
0: you're on notice if we continue the rest of the month we need the big snorry the first march ever with no measurable snow yes sir <laughs> <laughs> let us begin What does the U.S. Census Bureau have to say about Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost's demand in federal court that it provide the population numbers needed to redraw political maps? Jen Cahoon, there's no mincing words from the federal government on this one.
2: Yeah, in a word, they they basically say it's impossible. Uh, Apparently, they said that a number of times in their court filing. They said they simply cannot finish their work by the end of the month, as uh, Dave Yost is demanding. And even though Ohio has these legal deadlines for redrawing its political maps, the background here is that Yo sued the Census Bureau and the U.S. Department of Commerce, you know, seeking to force them to stick to this March 31st deadline. But the Census Bureau had announced in mid-February that it was that data was not going to be available to states until as late as September 30th. And this is all being blamed on the pandemic. But over the weekend, we had some court filings from the federal government. It included a sworn statement from a top Census Bureau official who said producing usable census data by March 31st, quote, is not possible under any scenario and the Census Bureau would be unable to comply with any such order from the court. They also claimed that Ohio lacks the legal standing in this case and that that the state has failed to explore other solutions to meet this deadline. You know, we've talked about this before, whether they can get some flexibility or use some partial data or whatever. But anyway, there's a there's a court hearing on this coming up Friday. So so we will know more. They have um, deadlines in Ohio of September 30th and September 1st for for some of the stuff that they need to get done for the congressional and the statehouse redistricting. And of course, they need the census data because the districts have to be you know, have to contain equal numbers of people and then they have to follow all these other rules. Uh, Yost isn't happy about this. He filed a response saying that the it's just too hard argument will, will permit the Census Bureau to ignore deadlines for every future census. Then this gets even more complicated, if you bear with me here, that lawyers representing a coalition of voting rights groups and local governments, they sought to get involved in this case because they say if they grant Yost's request for this March 31st deadline, it would conflict with another court order from their own lawsuit when they successfully blocked the Trump administration's effort last year to to conclude the census early. So I guess as part of that, the Census Bureau agreed not to report the results before April 16th. So that, that puts them you know, right, in a bind but, there. But.
0: I'm kind of with Dave Yost on this. I, I hope the judge, when they get the Census Bureau in front of them, digs deeper instead of just listening to say it's impossible. Say, what are you doing? I mean, don't you have an mm-hmm. abacus? Let's go count. What's, yeah. <laughs> what's so hard about this? You know what? What? What is the process that's taking months and months and months? I mean, the Census bureau their are rules. You're supposed to provide the numbers. I mean, it's, right, it's something right. that we're supposed to get every ten years, and for them to just say. We can't do it. Why not? What, what are you doing? What are the roadblocks? What what is holding this up? And I would hope that the judge drills into that the, the, instead of just taking lip service. You know, they use the word impossible. What, a dozen times in this thing? Something like that. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> is impossible. It's, a, you know, <laughs> so what do you what would it take to get it done? What are your you roadblocks? sound like Joe Biden? Well, Nothing just... is impossible. I, I just it's it seems like a bogus response. I mean, the states look, this, this is unfair to states where population has grown. They're supposed to get extra Congress people out of this. That, that's all. That's what the whole system is based on. And the Census Bureau just blowing it off seems inexcusable. So it'll be fun to see whether the judge gets aggressive and uh, good for Dave Yost and in, in not letting it go. He's right, too. If they blow it this time. They'll blow it for the rest of time. <laughs> um, you know, we're supposed to get more technologically advanced. We're not supposed to go backwards. I mean, they got the numbers out when they were going around door to door with pen and paper. You know, yeah, with, when
3: when do in non-pandemic uh, census well, awesome. years, in non-pandemic census years, when when is data usually released?
0: We like usually when, get it by now, right? Yeah, yeah right. I
2: think is it right? is usually released by by the end of March, Okay, um, I think, or April. Yeah, or yeah like that. it is. Yeah.
0: It is. And they're. You know, one of the weird things in the story, it said that the census was denied an extension of time because of all those, those hurdles. Well, if you're denied the extension of time, why aren't you making the deadline? That made no sense to me. Yeah. If they were granted the extension of time, then OK, you're not going to make the deadline. But you were told, no, yeah. get it done. Why didn't they? <laughs> all right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What are the new rules for students in spring sports who get exposed to the coronavirus at school? Laura Johnston. Every time we talk about extracurriculars and things in the schools, lots of people pay attention because so many people have children in the schools. This is a pretty big change for people that play spring sports and do other things.
1: Right. So it's good news for high school athletes. So if they, if kids are exposed to COVID in the classroom, they no longer have to quarantine from extracurriculars like sports. They just need to monitor themselves for symptoms in quarantine if they have any. And this is because Ohio has done a lot of research showing that. As long as students are wearing masks and keeping the distance and the protocols in the classroom, they're not really spreading the virus. So there's no reason to have to opt out of school or the extracurriculars. However, if you're exposed during sports, that's a different issue. You're going to have to do the 10-day quarantine with no positive tests or seven days with the test. But yeah, there's lots of spring sports, you know, lacrosse, baseball, track, I think boys tennis. And so I'm sure these this is a relief to kids who just want I mean, this is the first think about it, this is the first season of sports that it was affected by the COVID last year. So these kids didn't get to play last year. So it is really nice that they can, you know, take a breath and relax and be like, I can get a season in.
0: I, I I'm a little confused as to why it's different if I get exposed in school as opposed to exposed anywhere else. Is it just because in school the people are wearing masks? So the chance that I got it. For mud exposure is very small.
1: Yeah, they know what the the protocol is. They know the setup, right? They know if you're sitting at a desk and you're facing forward and you're wearing a mask then the kid who sits next to you, if he has COVID, you're probably not going to catch it because you're separated and you're not interacting. But think about sports. These kids are not wearing masks and, you know, practice sharing equipment. You, you don't have the same kind of safeguards there.
0: Okay, that's interesting. It's this week in the CLE. What dramatic step did Cuyahoga County's new sheriff take in response to the killing of a jail guard at a bar over the weekend? Leila Tassi, I intentionally did not pronounce his name. I'm going to leave that to you.
3: (laughs) Well, the sheriff temporarily suspended his deputies and corrections officers from being able to work off-duty security jobs at bars or really any venue with a liquor license that includes sports stadiums and grocery stores and, and liquor stores. This happened after Correction's officer, Timoteo Cruz, died Saturday night at Rookie Sports Bar and Grill in Parma, along with uh, a bar patron, Michael Osierno when they were both gunned down in the parking lot by a gunman using an AR-15. My, my colleague, Adam Freese, reported that the two brothers who were arrested in the attack were earlier kicked out of the bar and appeared on surveillance footage to say something to Osierno in the parking lot before retrieving their gun and opening fire, investigators are still trying to piece together this one and figure out, you know, who was the intended target here and what was the motive. The brothers were arrested, but Sheriff Christopher Villand, uh, you know, he was just hired March 9th. That's why we're having trouble pronouncing his name. <laughs> we'll get you. We'll get it. A, a lawyer for the Ohio Patrolmen's Benevolent Association said that. He understands why the sheriff would temporarily suspend his officers from these outside jobs until we understand what was the motive behind this crime. But he expressed concern for how long that order will last, because we all know that the many officers count on that extra income that they earn from those off-duty details.
0: The, the, the odd thing, I, I guess the debate comes down to if you have... Your officers doing off-duty work at a bar because of the alcohol, it puts them into greater danger. But on the other hand, having officers who are trained and have badges in those kind of situations generally could be helpful. It'll be interesting to see where they end up. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of a lot of places don't allow officers to work in places with with liquor licenses. Right. The, I- this is a bizarre case because they killed them with an the AR-15. I know it was, that's
3: it's. That's crazy. And Cruz is being hailed as a hero because he was not really a part of the I mean, it seemed that Asierno was the first one to be to 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 receive the gunfire. And Cruz shot back at these guys in defense of and, and it. He protected everyone in the bar. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, he 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 made a, a the ultimate sacrifice to protect everyone who uh, who could have who could have died in this this uh, altercation.
0: Were it not for having an armed officer there, we could have had a massacre in Parma. I mean, this speaks to the reason to have officers there. Although he's he's died, and and you could argue this is died in the line of duty because when these guys are working at a bar, they're working as the armed officer. We'll have to see uh, whether he gets that kind of uh, a funeral procession. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Are Ohio college leaders brilliant or what? With Florida. Already being overrun by college students on spring break, students at some major Ohio colleges likely are staying in-state. Why is that, Jane Cahoon?
2: Well, the colleges and universities were smart enough to to alter their spring break schedules, and some eliminated the break altogether. Some that do still have a spring break are going remote, you know, for a period afterwards, so students don't come back from somewhere and, and spread the virus. As you said, we're seeing these reports that beaches in Texas and Florida are are seeing all these crowds, you know, during what's now the typical spring break uh, months. So just a few examples of what colleges are doing. Tri-C added this two-week remote learning period after winter break, you know, when they came back from the holidays, and then they just canceled the spring break. And the spring semester is going to end a week earlier. Cleveland State, they moved spring break back to January and instead extended the winter break. And then they instituted these reading days. They're calling them with no classes on March 10th and April 8th. Uh, At Case Western Reserve, they're they're also not going to have a spring break, but they're going to have these reading days uh, a couple of days in March. And then the spring semester was um, scheduled to begin on February 1st. And that, that left more time around the Holidays uh, once again. So then they had a remote three week session that that happened in January. Ohio State doesn't have a spring break. Instead, they've got like just two breaks in instruction. One was on February 9th, and the next one's scheduled for for March 31st. Now, a few of them still do have breaks, like John Carroll has one from March 30th to April 7th, Kent State has one from April 12th to the 18th, but classes are going to be remote after that and same with university of akron
0: we drove down warrensville center road on saturday and there were mobs of john carroll students on front lawns doing beer pong and things no one wearing a mask no distancing they're like a foot apart we drove by a couple hours later i think the police had gone through because it was mostly gone but it was whoa so i i don't have faith that those john carroll students will take safe spring breaks There is a worry by public health experts that even though we're nearing the end of this pandemic, as more and more people get vaccinated, that all of this spring travel will cause a surge. And Laura Johnston, you certainly saw crowded airports on your trip.
1: It was all my flights were packed. And I I did wear um, a surgical mask underneath uh, a cloth mask and didn't eat or drink. But, yeah, they were busy. And, you know, it was really funny because the airlines were like, to stay in your seats. We want to keep you socially distanced as you get off the plane. You're like, you're cramped in a ticket. Yeah, there's no, social, there's no social distancing. But I did on my flight out was like 6 a.m. on Friday. And I sat next to two girls from Ohio State who were on our way to Utah. And I asked them about what, how campus was. And they're like, it feels pretty normal. You know, like they, they they were at the beginning. They were really worried. But uh, they, they told me they were on spring break. So I don't know what spring break they were on. <laughs> they must have oh, made boy. their own. But um, and they called me ma'am. So that was that was okay.
0: good oh, no. welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Is the Solon high school principal back on the job after being suspended based on an anonymous complaint about an inappropriate relationship? Lar Johnson, we've spent some time talking about this just because it seems so unfair what they did to this poor principal based on an anonymous complaint from a fictitious email. For something that happened or supposed to have happened 15 years ago.
1: Yeah. So Aaron Short is officially back at work and the superintendent sent an email to families. On, this was actually this past Thursday saying he was pleased to report that the investigation into Short, the high school principal in Solon, is closed. But that's a that's a long road for her to to have to. Sit through this investigation. It started back on February fifteenth. That the school got an email accusing her of improper conduct in about two thousand five, when she was vice principal. Email called her a threat. So police got involved. She was placed on paid leave. There were emails to all the parents. She hired her own lawyer, an investigator, and the superintendent did acknowledge how tough this has been for for the principal and the students. But he said the district had to take seriously all concerning matters brought to their attention. That they respect their process and follow it to the letter, and that they put students first. I feel like he kind of had to explain because there probably is a, a good amount of public outcry about this teacher. Because even though she has been totally cleared, you know, she's been in the news. Her name's been thrown up with all of this. It's it not. It does not sound fair.
0: Well, and it it, it seems like any kid, any high school kid. That doesn't like the way things are going knows, hey, I just have to go to one of those fictitious email places, make something up and it'll turn the whole school upside down. You can do it with any teacher. You can, it just seems odd to me that they would they would take that kind of dramatic action based on an anonymous complaint. It'll be interesting to see if they review that policy, if the school board has anything to say about it, because this does seem like it was grossly unfair to the principal. You're listening to this week in this CLE. How is Cleveland City Hall using the presence of a max vaccination center for the next two months to try to vaccinate people who are unlikely to get the vaccine otherwise? Leila Tassi, this seems like a smart move by the city to use this this eight-week period of the 6,000-a-day Wolstein Center vaccinations to do something good.
3: Yeah, Cleveland's health department has been offering vaccines at its rec centers, and now the high-capacity Wolstein Center will take a little bit of pressure off those sites so they can focus on those Clevelanders who are either unable or reluctant to go all the way to the Wolstein Center. The rec centers really become a very convenient alternative, especially in with for the city's large elderly population. Bob Higgs reported that there are more than 100 elderly residents' homes in the city. And, and of course, many of those those folks can't leave the facilities. So for them... The city also has uh, mobile vaccination units, apparently, which can, according to to Bob, can make house calls. I think, or it sounds like it, since they've they've lifted some of the restrictions on on how cold the vaccines need to be kept, that makes those mobile units uh, a lot easier to operate in the communities. So, so yeah, working in tandem with the the Wolstein Center to to bring vaccination to the people who need it.
0: That, that seems like the way to go. You almost need like the ice cream truck, right? <laughs> have a, <laughs> oh my have a God. little ditty playing. Come on, come out and get your vaccine. Because otherwise we're, we're not going to get to the, to, it's people. Chris, you should to, be
1: in charge of the, <laughs> the You have to wear, you, you
3: got to wear a paper hat though, like the ice
0: cream hat. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's face it, if you have transportation issues, if you're a single parent and you can't leave, this is the way to go and they're vulnerable populations. So good for Cleveland to try and get out there into the neighborhood. Instead of forcing people to come to them, it would have been nice if we did this from the beginning. Mm -hmm. This week in the CLE, they never go away. Dave Greenspan lost his bid for re-election in the legislature, but he's not done as a politician. Jane Cahoon, what are the two political jobs he has ahead right now? And let's remember, he did sign on to the move to take away democracy and abolish the election. Dave Greenspan? Yeah. Don't you remember he signed on to that thing in support? Of the Texas oh, that's
2: after? right. I was thinking, OK, he's in the state house, Right. You reminded me of that. Well, I was thinking of him more as a good guy in that he resisted the strong arming by the now indicted Larry Householder, the former House speaker who tried to pressure him to vote for the uh, scandalous
0: House Bill 6. and well, he flushed head. all that down the toilet when he signed <laughs> on to an effort to abolish democracy. Okay,
2: okay, all right. So you want to know what he's doing now. He is now a lobbyist for MetroHealth. His title is Special Projects Liaison to the MetroHealth Chief of Staff, Jane Platten. His job's going to involve, he'll be in familiar territory. He's, he's uh, going to lobby at the state level. He told Andrew Tobias that uh, He's scheduled to testify, in fact, uh, before an Ohio Senate committee on Wednesday on the proposed state transportation budget. So he's going to make about ninety-five thousand a year in that job, according to Metro Health spokesman Mike Tobin. And uh, Tobin said he will use his unique experience as both a former member of county council and a state lawmaker to help the Metro Health system navigate the complexities of federal and state COVID-19 relief, the state budget process, and other emerging. Initiatives, and then the other thing coming up for him is, I guess he's going to become the Westlake City Council president. So yeah, he's he's landed on on his feet. He was, uh, you know, by the way, after you know, the helping the FBI and voting against House Bill Six, he was the only Republican who who lost his seat in November in the State House.
0: I know, and then after that, he <coughs> voted to he signed his name to get rid of democracy. Not a fan of Dave Green's You're fan. not
2: going to forget that. No, you know, I'll never
0: forget that. You were calling I think, him the
2: good guy. Not
0: yeah, for that. come on. You cannot do that. You cannot take away the vote of the American people because of some... B.S. Yeah. party loyalty nonsense. I couldn't believe he did it. That was like a it.
2: letter that they sent. To, yeah, you know, but he
0: it, signed it. Right? He basically signed I know, an I effort I saying, dump democracy, let's install a dictator, which works for him because he's the only candidate running for city council president. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's what he wants. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. We have even more details about how the Wolstein Center vaccinations will work. And the system is kind of unusual. Laura Johnston, how so?
1: So the most unusual part about this is rather than the people moving through, like the people getting shots moving through a system, it's going to come to you. So I guess a little mobile type uh, center inside the Wolstein Center. This is the only FEMA center in the state and it's underway. It started Monday afternoon with about 1,500 shots and it's going to get up to full speed of 6,000 a day by Friday, running 8 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., seven days a week. Lots of help from the National Guard with this. The first six weeks are going to be Pfizer vaccine. You'll get your second appointment when you go for your first shot. After that, it's going to be Johnson & Johnson. So you walk in, you get taken down to the floor of the Wolstein Center and like where they put the basketball floor because I guess CSU will keep on playing, but not there. And uh, everybody will get a seat. Then the vaccine will be brought to them on a rolling cart and they'll sit there for 15 or 30 minutes afterward to make sure there's no adverse reaction. And then they can go on their merry way, which Dave Pekowitz has great photos of just like the line of chairs. And you're like, this seems pretty ingenious.
0: Yeah, I was glad to see it because I'll be there tomorrow. I'm one of the early ones getting this. I lucked out when I got on the site and I didn't know how it worked. Now I do. Way to go, Dave Pekowitz. Uh, The other thing they made clear yesterday is the people who get their shots there will come back at the identical time three weeks later to get the second one. They'll have an appointment. They won't have to go hunting like our dear friend jane cahoon has to do
2: (laughs) i was just gonna say that i i want to see you sit still for 15 or (laughs) don't
0: worry i'll have my phone we'll be in communication (laughs) you're listening to this week in the cle thanks layla thanks laura thanks jane we will be back tomorrow